Yay. Good news. Our worship leader believes in Jesus. Yay. Right? Hey, uh, we're just being honest around here. That's what we're trying to do, asking you to do the same. Welcome to you, all of our campuses, Homer, Orland, and New Lenox. Welcome those of you watching on Facebook Live, those of you watching online. We're, we're glad you're here. We're just going to be a place where we're honest. And I just want to say something up front uh, as, as a parent, okay? Maybe a parent who's a little bit, I'm, I'm a papa now. I'm a grandfather, almost uh, soon to be four grandkids. I've walked this journey before. And here's what happens, okay? Sometimes parents say things to me like, well, I'm just going to let my kids decide about their faith journey when they grow up. And, and, and I mean, do you, do you do that with anything else? I'm not talking about forcing it down their throat, but do you do that with any of the other important things in their life? Yeah, I don't make my kids brush their teeth. I'm just going to let them decide whether they want to have teeth later on. I mean, <laughs> Daddy, why didn't you teach me about dental hygiene? This just doesn't make any sense. You don't do that with anything else. You don't send them to school, you get arrested, okay? You signed up for the job. What I'm saying is I, I get the deal. The deal is, if you struggle with faith, like Kim was just talking about, if you're struggling through that period, what are you going to do? And I want to tell you that I think the faith background you pass on to your kids is super important. Whether it was for you or not, uh, I mean, I think you know that it is. And I know I'm, I, I know it's kind of ridiculous because if you're part of Parkview, your kids drag you here. I know that because our kids' program is so great. But, but whatever it is we're talking about, bacon night, getting your kids to stuff, I'm telling you, I think it's better to just be honest honest, but keep being a parent, okay? What I'm saying is that you can be a part of, you can belong before you believe, okay? You, you don't have to you don't have to have all the answers to be a part of us. You, know, you, you could be, I mean, I hope that you're a, a complete atheist. There are some complete atheists that absolutely do not believe in God that are watching this right now because we're comfortable with that. I, we just all want to be honest. But as you pass it on to your kids, give them something, okay? If you, do the, if you do it right and you're honest with them, I think that's probably the piece of the missing part that some of you didn't have as you were growing up. So let's just be honest. Um, that's, I think that's what God wants. If you're an atheist, be honest. Okay? Now, Thomas Nagel is an honest atheist, professor of psychology at New York University. He said in, in his book, um, the last word, he said, I want atheism to be true. Okay? I am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. And that, that makes me uncomfortable because I don't believe, and, and I don't understand how these intelligent people can believe it. He goes on and he says, it isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. You see that? I mean, at least he's being honest. I really hope there is no God. I, I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. And the truth is, if I'm being honest, I appreciate your honesty, Thomas. If I'm being honest, I really do want the universe to be like that. If we find out there is no God, I got to go get another job. <laughs> and I'm getting kind of old for that, okay? I might be able to make the Hungarian freestyle skiing team. If you didn't see that, you got to go back and watch it. This woman scammed things and got into the Olympics. It's hilarious. I promise there will be a book out somewhere. I just, I'm telling you that... that, that I believe, and I, my whole life has been wrapped up around belief. My job is wrapped up around belief, and I'm admitting that. And I really sincerely believe that there's way more evidence that points me toward a God in heaven than toward complete chaos. But maybe that's just what I want. Maybe that's just what I want to believe. Maybe I'm an old dog and I can't learn new tricks. I'm just going to be honest about that. And let me ask you, are you being honest about your faith journey? 
Okay, but as we talk about this, was it a question that you didn't get answers to? Was it some hypocrisy or whatever it was that, that caused you to doubt your faith? Or is it that you just really don't want it to be true? Just, I, just, I just don't, I don't want it to be true. Because if that's the, if that's the fact, information's never going to help you. Pascal said in the last century, people almost invari- in, invariably arrive at their beliefs, not on the basis of what proof is, of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. How else could you explain Cub fans for a hundred plus years, okay? Uh, look, this is just philosophy, okay? This is just philosophy. It, it was not based on proof of winning, right? For hundreds and hundreds of, you know, well, okay, maybe just a hundred. For, for a long time, it wasn't based on proof of winning. Why were you a Cub fan? I know why you were a Cub fan. One of two reasons. Either your parents, one of your parents was a Cub fan, or you lived in a place where you only got four channels and WGN was one of them. <laughs> Okay? I get that. Okay? That's okay. That's just the truth of it. We're, we're all guilty of this because we, you know, we have these things that, that come in our life and affect how we develop truth and how we understand truth in our life. And to quote the famous theologian, you can't handle the truth. Uh, that's the truth. Well, I don't think we can. Okay? So, so here's the deal. We're in a series about finding truth. It's called Who Needs God? It's by Andy Stanley from North Point Church in Atlanta. Um, owe him a lot for this. It's amazing thinking that he's done. And we're just talking about the fact that the, that the people who are leaving uh, religion all the way around, fastest growing group in America are the N-O-N-E-S's, the nuns. It's not that they've necessarily decided they want to be atheists. It's that they just, that they just the, the, the idea of a godless universe doesn't sound great, but, but the God thing is, is confusing. It's just not working the way they understood it. So here's what we've been doing. Week one, we talked about why do people reject the idea of God? And I, I said there were intellectual reasons. Um, maybe they're made up or maybe they're real, but, but they're intellectual reasons. I just can't figure it out. Maybe it's emotional reasons. Okay. Uh, I have these, uh, I have these hurts. I have these pains. I don't understand the suffering in the world. Maybe it's religious reasons. Cause I grew up and, and somebody did something to me or there was hypocrisy or I saw all that. And, and my point first week was that none of that's God's fault. Okay. I mean, God, God is God. This is about our understanding of God. That, that's how that goes wrong. Second week, Pastor Todd talked about the different gods that, that we think we believe in, but that's not really who God is anyway. So if you don't believe in the bodyguard God because you thought God was supposed to take care of you and he didn't do something, we don't believe in that God either. Or the on-demand God or the boyfriend-girlfriend God or the guilt God who just is up there making you feel guilty all the time. That's not the God we believe in either. So maybe we've got some common ground here. And last week I talked about the Bible and the, the problem with the Bible and, and how, do we, how do we figure this out? Because people are like, well, there's so many problems with the Bible. What's the problem with the Bible? Well, for one thing, people make it say things that it doesn't say. Well, you know, like the, the earth is 6,000 years old. I mean, some people are, 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 are figuring that out. They think that from the Bible, but the Bible doesn't say that. So you've got a lot of room to be open on that subject. Or we might have not discovered things yet, which keep doing all the time, and we understand more and more. Or, or we may not understand the cultural context, which is why when Paul said, greet one another with, an, with a holy kiss, we don't do that anymore, especially during flu season. And the Bible copiers might have made some small mistakes. We, we see that. There might be some small errors, but they didn't make a theological difference. 
Probably most importantly, are we going to interpret it literally or figuratively? Because Jesus did say, if your right hand causes you to sin, you should cut it off. And somewhere along the way, we all figured out he was not being literal, okay? That, that's kind of where we've come from at this, pl- at this point. And if, if, I feel, if it feels to you like I'm passionate about this, I, I don't understand how it all happened, but at some, at some point, I just feel bad for God. Can I say it that way? I mean, I can't imagine being God, being the good, good God that I think he is, and having my children not be home with me and not even like me because I've been misrepresented. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, this is, and this is why I'm writing this book about Jesus being angry. And Jesus was angry a lot at the religious people, at the church leaders of his day who were misrepresenting who he was, who God was. That's why he was angry. I can't imagine not having my children home with me if I'm God because somebody told them they had to believe a certain way about creation or about a, a story of a guy in a whale, okay? Or that they had to have answers to things that they will never have. Listen to me, I have a doctorate in this stuff and there are questions that I will never get answers to. Like the sons of God and the daughters of men intermarrying in Genesis, creating the Nephilim. I don't know what in the heck that's talking about. Nobody does. Or whether the promise to restore Israel and as a Jewish nation was meant to be literal or figuratively, and therefore whether it's a good idea to have the embassy in Jerusalem. I don't know that. And if I don't know that, you don't know that. And it shouldn't affect our relationship with God. So I was thinking about it, and I was, I was just working on it. I was thinking, as a dad, I have three daughters, and as a dad, I just, I, I, imagine your children are moving out, okay? I expected a cheer or an amen or something. <laughs> okay, good, good, wait, good restraint, and you're sitting by them, I understand. But imagine they're like, they're pre-teenagers, okay? Like, this is your 12, this is your 12-year-old daughter, and she comes to you and she says, Dad, I'm moving out. What? Why? And, you know, I mean, realistically, it would be, oh, no, you did it, you know, right? <laughs> I brought you into this house. I'll take you out of this house. I mean, that, that's more realistically. But let's just pretend you're a patient dad like Jack or Randall on This Is Us, you know, totally unrealistic, okay? <laughs> so so that, that's my take. So, <laughs> so why are you moving out, honey? Well, I can't figure out the Wi-Fi password, dad. I've been guessing, I have all your old phone numbers and birthdays and anniversaries and your favorite superhero, and I keep putting it together, and I I have to have Wi-Fi, so I'm leaving, okay? Just process this, right? Besides, all my friends have Wi-Fi, and I know their passwords already. Your reaction would be, why didn't you just ask me? Didn't I show you where I have it on a post-it note inside a cabinet in the kitchen? Is that where yours is? Because that's where mine is. Anybody's visiting is just like, here, just go, go look in here. Why didn't you just come to me? I don't understand this. And she says, well, I just think I need to figure it out on my own, so I'm leaving. Do you see what I mean? That, that's how I feel like God feels when his kids are gone. Like, I, I, you guys, he wants you to be home. He wants you to be with him. He's okay with your questions. He's okay with your doubts. He loves you. He wants you to be home. So, so this deal, um, Jesus comes along and um, 
He says, hey guys, I'm the fulfillment of all of your Jewish scriptures. I am the Messiah. And everybody, at first they were like, oh wow, okay, call the, call the straitjacket people. But then Jesus starts doing miracles and people start following and they start going, maybe he is the Messiah. And you get to Palm Sunday and everybody's got their palm branches going, yay, Hosanna, Messiah's here. And then five days later, he's dead, right? So, so uh-oh, game over. Maybe he wasn't the Messiah. But then he rises from the dead. Appeared, the Bible says, to over 500 people, and the party gets restarted. Now, here's what happened. All of those Jewish followers, everybody was Jewish at that point, right? Um, all those Jewish followers started going, okay, well, let's go back and look at the scriptures again. Now that we know who the Messiah is, let's go back and look at them again. And they went back to scriptures like this, Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. Crucifixion hadn't been invented yet when this was written. Jesus had nails in his feet, in his hands, pierced with a sword, right? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. They never had any clue how to interpret that until after Jesus had been crucified and brought back again. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Remember, Pilate had trouble getting Jesus to say anything. He never defended himself. He was numbered with the transgressors. Two thieves, one on both sides. In his grave, he was with the rich in death. Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, rich man's tomb. After he suffered, he will see the light of life, the resurrection. And they started going back and they started reading those scriptures going, okay, now we get it. Andy Stanley told a great story about a friend of his who was a Jewish Christian. And the story went that when he was in college, he was, he was just Jewish and a Christian just handed him a piece of paper that had Isaiah 53 on it. That's, that's all, all it had. And he looked at it and he's like, oh, brother, that sounds like they were, you know, talking about Jesus. The Christians are adding scriptures now, right? So he went back and looked in his Jewish Bible and Isaiah 53 was exactly like that, still in there. So at his next break, he went home to see his rabbi. And he said, hey, rabbi, this Christian guy gave me uh, Isaiah 53 and it sounds a lot like Jesus. And the rabbi said, yeah, it really does. And, and the guy said, well, what do, what do we do with it? And the rabbi said, well, we're Jewish. We don't follow Jesus. This guy decided to listen to scripture more than he did his teacher. He became a Christian. And I would always encourage you to listen to scripture more than you listen to your teacher. Even if your teacher's me. Maybe especially if your teacher is me. Okay? <laughs> I'm just saying that. Billy Graham passed away this week, great legacy, I mean, uh, unbelievable, and a lot of great stories. He tells a story of a time early in his ministry when he's in this small town and he wants to mail a letter, so he, he sees a boy walking along the street and he says, hey, son, where's the post office? And the boy tells him where the post office is, and Billy, being Billy, said, well, you know what, son, if you'll come to the Baptist church this evening, I'll be telling everybody how to get to heaven. And the boy said, I don't think I'll be there. You don't even know how to get to the post office. <laughs> At some point, you're going to start making your own decisions, okay? You need to think for yourself. So, so here's what happened. The, the Gentiles come along. They start becoming Christians, and they become enamored with the Jewish scriptures. And they took the Jewish scriptures, and they combined them with the first century documents that were written by the followers of Jesus and bound them together. And eventually, a few hundred years after Jesus, they put them all together into this, what we have as the Bible. 
And they didn't want to become Jewish. They just thought the scriptures were important to point us to Jesus. So they took them and they said the stuff before Jesus is the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and the stuff after Jesus is the New Covenant. Because Jesus said, I've come to bring you a new covenant. That's what the Messiah was going to do. So we are no longer bound by the law. We are under grace. And it's so great that we get to live in the new part of the covenant. That's why we can have bacon night at Parkview. Thank you very much, okay? I mean, you know, why they kept the Old Testament together was because Jesus said, I'm the fulfillment of it. And it points us, it points us to him. That's what that was all about. But, but these followers weren't, they, they, they didn't have to go back into the religious system. As a matter of fact, there was a lot of argument in the early church. There was a lot of difficulty for the Jewish believers and the Jewish leaders, even, even Peter to a certain degree, they kept going, well, wait, don't we have to be Jewish first? Don't these people have to get circumcised first? Read the book of Galatians. It's hilarious. Paul is like, no, no, no. They don't have to, they don't have to cut anything. No, they're just Christians, okay? Because we don't want to, it's not about the religion. We're not about that anymore. We're about the new covenant. And Christianity got started as people who witnessed Jesus and were with Jesus and had seen the empty tomb and had had breakfast with him on the beach. They are the ones who write the new covenant, and that's what it was supposed to be about. They kept going, this is pointing us to Jesus, but we're not bound by that anymore. We can eat bacon. We don't have to get circumcised. That, that stuff is not applicable anymore. We have the new covenant. And here's the new covenant. And we know the new covenant because we witnessed what Jesus said. So the, the difference between your gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that John's writing a lot later. He, he gets to live to an old age, and I say gets because he probably would have preferred to have been martyred earlier with his buddies. He was exiled on an island, kind of like Alcatraz out in Patmos. And, 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 and what we know about John is that when you're reading the Gospels, John's was written from a later perspective. John's got more history. Okay? Every one of the Gospels was written to an audience. Every one of them is, is for a reason, and they had different angles. But John's is later. Okay, That's all I'm saying. So he's seen all of his buddies get killed for their faith. He's seen the horrible treatment of Christians in, the, in that first century. He's, he's probably seen the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, which Jesus predicted would happen. And he's got a little bit different perspective. And I just want that in your brain as we think about what Jesus says about God. Okay, Because John said that Jesus was there one day. And it, again, John's just got a little different perspective. And Jesus is talking to the 12 and he says this. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Seen him. And, and the, the, the apostles, disciples were probably like looking around like, Where, where's, where's God? Where's the Father? And Philip is the one who asked the question, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And this is when Jesus says probably the most outlandish thing he ever says in his ministry. And it's recorded by John. It's got that historical perspective along with it. And here's what, he, here's what John says Jesus said. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The words I say to you, I did not speak on my own authority. Rather, that it's the Father living in me who was doing his work. Jesus says, you, you want to hear what God says? Listen to me. You want to know what God does? Watch me. 
because this is as close as you're going to get. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And, and that may be a lot, but, but I don't just want you to believe. Believe in me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe the evidence of the works themselves. I'm not asking you to just believe. I'm asking you to draw conclusions based on the evidence. And they have seen the evidence. John has seen the evidence. They've seen it all. That's what Jesus is asking him, and they're the ones that have recorded this. So that's the historical perspective of, of all of this. The question we should ask, and I would just like for you today to throw out everything else you know about God and just go back and go, okay, if Jesus said he was God and John wrote this stuff down, you know, and the, and the, and the apostles wrote this down, what does Jesus say about God? Where should we begin this journey? I'm, I'm going to give you five quick things. Each one of them could be a sermon, but I just want you to get a grasp of who I believe God is because of what Jesus said. And the first one is God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. I mean, you just, you just kind of got to go there, don't you, at some point, right? The children were all lined up in the cafeteria at the Catholic school for lunch, and at the head of the table, uh, at the head of the line was a bowl full of apples, and a nun had written a note, take only one, God is watching. And as you went on down the line, at the end there was a plate full of chocolate chip cookies, and some nasty little boy wrote, take as many as you want, God's watching the apples. That would have been me if I would have gone to Catholic school. No, no. God is big enough. He is great enough to watch the apples and the cookies and be everywhere at the same time. The Bible says, my father, Jesus said, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my hand. And I and the Father are one. Just one more time, I want to hear you say that. That's what I'm saying, okay? I and the Father are one. God is greater than all. So when God says, don't have any other gods before me, it's because there aren't any other gods before him. So if you get that out of order, your life's going to be messed up. You with me? God is great. God is spirit, okay? This is important in the first century because they're, the Greeks and the Romans, they've got all their different gods for everything, right? And they've got their statues and they've got their, their, their ways that these gods are specific. And that's not who God is. God is spirit. We know this because Jesus is talking to a, a woman who is a social outcast one day. I mean, again, you want to know how to handle racism? You go back and you watch Jesus. Jesus is in Samaria where there's this huge racial difference between the Jews and the Samaritans. They don't like each other. And he's walked into the middle of this area where the Samaritans are. And not only that, but he finds this Samaritan woman who is, is at the well at noon, which means that she's a social outcast from even her own Samaritans. What I find fascinating about this passage, just side note, is that we don't know her name. I mean, we, we know that the disciples are so uncomfortable by being there that they all leave to go get lunch. You know, like it's going to take all 12 of them to go carry lunch. They're all like, okay, Jesus, you stay here with her. We're out of here. And they don't even record her name. We don't know her name. When we get to heaven, she's going to have a name tag, Joyce, a.k.a. woman at the well. It was me, you guys. I mean, that, that's the context of the conversation that's going on. And in the context of this extraordinary, compassionate conversation that Jesus is having with this woman, he, he gets into a theological discussion and he says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Okay? God is, God is great. God is everywhere. God is Father. 
I say this over and over again. In my opinion, that's the most important concept. Lord, teach us to pray, they said. And Jesus said, yeah, you should do it like this. Matter of fact, let's, let's just do it together, will you? Um, we ta- I taught on this last, uh, last fall. This is an important part, important concept to me. I want to pray it together. We use the old English version and use trespasses. And I'd just love for you to pray it with me, if you know it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I was preaching this last night and I thought, well, that's just it. That's everything summarized right there. That's who God is. He's got the kingdom, he's got the power, he's got the glory, but he's our dad, okay? He, he says in another place, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everybody who asks receives. Whoever, op- whoever seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be open. Why? Because you have a good, good father. Which of you fathers, if his son asks for a, a, a fish, will give him a snake? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, though you're not Jack or Randall or anything close to a really great dad, how, how no, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will he give everything? In other words, he, he wants a personal relationship with us, Okay. He's our father, whether you had a good one or not, doesn't matter. He is our father. He wants to have a relationship with us. It's, it's that great spirit, but personal. That's who God is. God is good. Jesus said, nobody is good except God alone. Well, but what about the evil in the world? Well, you got to come back next week for that one, okay? we gotta, we got to handle that one all on its own. Uh, Andy Stanley had a great illustration about the sun and shade. He said, you can, have, you can have the sun without shade, but you can't have shade without sun. This may be a little deep, but process that, okay? In other words, as the shade requires sun, evil requires good. Goodness pre-exists or there can't be any evil. God can't be evil. God has to be good. That's why we recognize when the world is messed up. And and again, you want to go to literal or figurative, you could talk about hell. Jesus talked about hell a lot. A lake of fire. Do I think there's going to be fire there? It doesn't really matter. Because what hell is going to be is complete separation from God. Right now, even in this world as broken as it is, we know that God is all around us and God is good. And that's why we recognize what evil is. So whenever you appeal to justice or mercy or love or the things that are right, you're declaring the essence of a good God. Evil is in the shade. Come back next week. We're going to talk about that. And lastly, but definitely not least, is that God is love. Maybe, again, if you don't remember anything else, John is looking back at Jesus' life. He's looking back at at the unspeakable bloodshed that he's seen, at the chaos, at the lack of love that he's seen in the world. And he says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. 
and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice, as the payment for our sin. Dear friends, since God loved us, we ought also to love one another. Yeah, first command and the second command. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. No one has ever seen God, but we love, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Here's the thing. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, I'm not a Christian. I just believe God loves everybody. You have to understand, he does. You're right. But that is a distinctly Christian teaching. Even, even the Jews from the Old Testament didn't understand God as a God of love. And other religions don't understand God as a God of love. It's a distinctly Christian teaching, and it started with Jesus. And it started with John recording the words of Jesus. Before Jesus, nobody had ever said God is love. People said the essence of God are a whole lot of other things, but, but, but Jesus said the sun preexisted the shade. The, 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 the good in the world is love, and that's who God is. So here's what, I want, here's what I would encourage you to do. We're doing this million chapter thing as a church. It's just a way for us to try to read a bunch of the Bible this, this year because we're, we believe it's the word of God and we believe it will help you. And we believe you need to learn this stuff on your own. Okay, don't just listen to me. So if you if sign up for the million chapters deal, what's going to happen is you're going to start in the book of John because I want to really encourage all of you to read the book of John on your own. If you're not a believer, if you've been a believer for 100 years, I, I think you ought to do it. If you don't have a Bible, at the back of all of our campuses, we have Bibles, free Bibles for you. Take one or just do it, on, do it on this app. Do it with us together. This is all free too. I want you to read the book of John and see for yourself. Throw out all that baggage. Throw out all that stuff that you've, that you've been taught and, and, and I want you to just come along. It's 21 chapters. It'll take you two hours to read the whole book of John, you guys, okay? So break it up and jump in and, and forget about all that other stuff. Put on your big boy or your big girl panties and read the gospel of John and ask yourself this question. Who did Jesus say God was? That's, that, that's where you should start. When Jesus was about to be crucified, he gathered everybody together. In the Last Supper, we're going to do communion here in just a minute. He gathered them together, and he gave them a bunch of instruction. But, I, but, but he kind of, kind of said, look, you're probably going to forget a lot of things. Here's, here's what I really want you to know. is the Father has loved me, I've loved you, so remain in my love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And he washed their feet that night to give them the example of what that should look like. In other words, guys, the distinguishing characteristic of people who follow Jesus is not what we know, it's not what we have memorized, it's not what we do in church when we get together. The distinguishing characteristic of a follower of Jesus is love one another. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because that reflects the nature of God. Billy Graham left an amazing legacy. One of the pictures I saw posted had this quote on it. I thought 
It's a great way to end. Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. And I want to tell you something. I actually believe that. I honestly, with all my heart, believe that. I believe that he is there. I believe that I will finally get to meet him someday when I get to be there. And maybe I'm misguided, but I really want to believe that. Not only do I do believe it, but I really want to believe it. And when I understand who God is, I understand that Billy Graham and I are not going to be in heaven someday. We're not going to have gone to a, a place where there is no more shade because we were good. We're going to go there because God loved us. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I really believe that. I hope you will too. God is great. God is spirit. God is father. God is good. And God is love.